is Catching Up, a postseason debrief and behind-the-screen look at the Third Gallon Podcast. The winner takes all. Oh my god. It's the thrill of one more kill, the last one to fall. Nug was denied his one we'll never more kill. sacrifice the will. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Welcome. I sense a disturbance. To catching up for season two. Woo! Can you believe? No. Yes. Yeah. We're doing this a second time. What? We've finished another story. You did this before? It think, is a little bit crazy. So. We did. We we've done this before. We've finished another season. I have no memory of this place. <laughs> and it's time to talk about it. It's time to talk about the game. It's time to talk about the the campaign we had. <gasps> so let's get into it. Can you believe? No. <laughs> can you believe we're done with yes. The Witcher already? I. Yeah. I. It make. I'm sad to finish playing The Witcher. I will admit, though. I'm not as sad as when we stopped playing yeah. Forbidden Lands. I, I, agree. I love Nug just as much as I love Dreamin'. Right. But The Witcher, you can end at any time, basically. It's, it helped it with chapters. But I Forbidden mean, the Lands, same thing with Forbidden Lands. Yeah, but the, Something about the dynamic between our three characters ju- is just so much def- more different there. It's, it's yeah. also, it hel- it's like we had, we had a whole season, but our season was comp. Comprised? Com- yeah. com- compressed? No, comprised okay. of three chapters, basically. We could have right. ended at any one of those chapters, yeah. and it would have been an ending. But like Forbidden Lands mm-hmm. is not designed to Yeah, end. I get what you mean. It just It's designed to keep going. So it's, it's like nice to have like bunny. a bit of a more solid ending. Yeah, um... This I is feel one like of the... we had a really good ending for Forbidden we, Lands. We did. we did. We did. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I liked our Witcher ending, too. Yeah, and this is yeah. one of the things I wanted to talk about today um, on Catching Up. Is you know, we've now done this show to where we have other like uh, seasons to compare mm-hmm. against. Uh, and I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, Forbidden Lands is a really, um, it's a player driven kind of narrative where I can like give you bits and pieces, I can generate content for you. And there's things like uh, Raven's Purge that give you kind of an overall framework for a campaign but you guys there's a certain responsibility for you to craft the story for your own characters uh as you play because of just the way it's structured right it's a hex crawl yeah how does that stack up to something like the witcher where it's more of a traditional you know there's no hex crawl mechanic it's more traditional the gm brings a story uh, with a somewhat expected degree of linearity, I would argue to it, especially because we also played a, you know, a series of pre-written, basically small modules. How does the experience compare? And I guess I just want to get your thoughts on it on the two. Ask that same thing. 
but with less words because you said a lot and I realized halfway through I had gotten confused. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I with know you. what he meant. <laughs> he basically said you've got like this hex crawl, more open feel to Forbidden Lands. And then here in The Witcher, we played almost like a series of three mini modules. Oh, so that were and it was linear. a bit more linear. Open well, world yeah. versus railroad. Not even that. It's more not even just open world. It's player driven narrative. Like I don't come with a story. Okay. Okay. You guys have to, you guys have a responsibility to generate story and I feed you content for that versus I come with a story that you guys have to explore. How do those experiences compare? Uh, That's just it though. It's like they're two entirely different experiences. It's, it's hard to compare them. You have less to lose in an open world game like Forbidden Lands, very specifically because you don't have like a set goal in mind, whereas with The Witcher, we usually had like an objective that we needed to fill. Right. But there's also less to gain. Whenever we fought in Forbidden Lands, it was something that we stumbled across. Whenever we fought in The Witcher, it was because we had a contract because we were hired to do it and there was no other option. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With Forbidden Lands... We did not have this problem. We usually had a goal in mind, even if it was just ourselves. We had a goal in mind, but I could have seen some people end up meandering about. Right. But we like having an objective. There's no chance of meandering when you play the way we played The Witcher. Right. Um, The Witcher had goals. We had to... You're right. Forbidden Lands is much more narrative driven. We have to make the narrative. We have to have it happen. Our characters have to interact. And our characters still interact in Forbidden Lands. It's just it was more of your... It wasn't built. You could have taken any character and slotted it in there and things wouldn't have changed. The, in Forbidden Lands of The Witcher. Or in The Witcher. In The Witcher. Okay. You're right. I have to be a bit more specific. In The Forbidden Lands... It ended up being about our characters, I think. Yeah. Like, right. sure. I think that's why we missed it so hard, because yeah. we missed the characters. Yeah, like, the like, Witcher seemed to be more about the functionality of the character rather than the characterization of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't help that... Hmm, this isn't a complaint, because it's just how some of these games work. Um, but, like, if we didn't have... If we had Viverwin, <laughs> if we had Inith, and we didn't have a melee combatant, let's say I went with, like, a doctor. Yeah. Right. That game would have been a lot more difficult. It would have been a lot less. Oh, for fun. sure. Whereas I don't get that feeling in Forbidden Lands because the way death works is different in that game. We would have had more options of running away and stuff like that. Yeah. If uh, Cahoon or Dreamin weren't melee combatants, I still think we would have had a chance. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, you had Kali over there without getting near anybody, raining down yeah. damage. Until, you know, until they forced her into melee. Yeah. So there was a chance. Well, and on this note, I want to talk about the kind of the way we played The Witcher because, you know, yeah, we're, we are comparing it to the open narrative or rather player driven narrative of Forbidden Lands um, since that's what we played in season one. But in The Witcher, uh, we made a choice and this isn't so much a question as a, as a discussion point. Uh, we made a choice to play the Book of Tales for uh, for a number of reasons. It, yeah. it came out right when we were starting our pre-production for uh, season two. And we just didn't have... The, uh, I, I made the call as the GM and 
producer that I didn't have enough time to write a homebrew story to play the Witcher. Fair enough. And so yeah. I, for me, the Book of Tales was a prerequisite to be able to play it on the show. But now having played through it, and and more importantly, having heard other people play recently, like we've mentioned Roll to Cast, I have now have the opinion that at least in its current state, I think this game is much better served by uh, a homebrew story of some kind. Like yeah. it provides a skeleton and then you can build the homebrew around it. Well, not even that. Like no. the, It provides a system and you have homebrew for it. You'd look sad all of a sudden, Jacob. It's, it's, it's the point that Derek is making. It is a good point. It's, I hate to say it cause I hate to be critical of something I've enjoyed so much, but the, there were issues as far as I can tell. Of course I haven't looked at it. Derek's the only one that has, there were issues with some of the pre-written content and it could have boiled down to us being dumb and it happens. Like <laughs> we it are really does. Yeah. But I also think the way some of it sounds, it wasn't our faults, yeah. but like it's a shame because the Witcher seems to be a game more made for homebrew, but it doesn't seem as easy to homebrew as, and I know right. this is like a, a bad example because Forbidden Lands is like the best when it comes to homebrew, but it's not as easy as Forbidden Lands. Yeah. yeah, the thing is, the the way The Witcher is built is you have that whole life path system, which is great. The, me- the mechanics of the game are great, but if you play something like Book of Tales, the whole life path thing doesn't really come up. Never no. really comes yeah, up. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of wasted, but at the same time, there's no way to write a Book of Tales kind of, you know, pre-written content to incorporate that someone's life path. Back, yeah. You would have to build it yeah. in yourself. Yeah, and so it just requires homebrewing. Now, that's not to say the Book of Tales is bad. I actually think it's very important for people learning the game like we were. It's yeah. not bad, it's sterile. Well, no, it's just more, you're not going to get the full proper experience you could just running all those adventures like that. It is not an adventure path like for Pathfinder where you basically have everything handed to you on a beautiful, organized silver platter. The way I see the Book of Tales working is in two different ways or working best is if you're just starting out and you want to run like one or two, maybe the first two adventures to kind of get your feet uh, wet in the game, that would work really well. Or if you're running a bigger homebrew campaign and you have this kind of interlude moment where you want to do something, but you don't want it to be connected to your overarching kind of plot uh, and or you're willing to take content from Book of Tales and modify it, yeah. I can see it working really well there. But again, yeah, when I listen to those the Roll of Cast guys play, it just it hit completely different because they crafted a story and their characters were well integrated kind of into it. And the game just really, really worked well versus I think the way that we started playing this game is I tried to do that or I tried to set that kind of tone in the first uh, adventure and even in the first little bit of interlude. And it just got really, it was really difficult to integrate and, and make it feel more witchery. And then we kind of settled into playing it like any other tabletop game, which is still fine. It still felt it fairly was still fun. witchery in some ways. I think if I can, mm-hmm. it's actually one of the points we, we have a little sheet that we have some ideas written on. And it's one of the ideas that I was, I, I think I had mentioned is that it, the reason it didn't feel very witchery 
is like your typical thing is it had twists to it. Like, right. Oh, the cursed beast is calls house burned man murdered family. Oh, twist is there's no big bad monster. They're doing theater. Uh, the twist is it's not the cult. It's a priestess, but you didn't have any of those moral quandaries. I can see where there were attempts at it. Like you could, we could have fed, What's his fuck? What's his face to the frog? Right. And then that would have made it easier. So I suppose Henrik. that's there, but it didn't feel like a big moral thing because that would also be like leaving a child without a. Fu- it's, it's. It's. I mean, there was a bit of a debate there. We could have, yeah, avoided the entire battle, which could have been deadly. I mean, what was yeah. it? Some bad rolls that kept it from being it, really deadly. When I think <laughs> about it now. It honestly seems like if you were willing to be a bit more of a bad person, the game would have been easier. And that's not quite the moral quandary I'm looking for. I'm looking for difficulty because we feed man to frog, problem solved. We don't have to right. fight frog. Yeah. Or um, we just kill the satyr. Bam, get paid. Don't have to worry about going town to town. Yeah. Problem solved. Don't yeah, have to fighting, fight a witcher. We didn't know that, but we yeah. wouldn't have had to fight a witcher. Fighting Oberhassel um, would have been very hard, though. Yeah, it probably would have. And we won't know that now because we didn't do it. But it seemed to me like the moral quandary seemed almost like a, uh, a video game where it was do bad thing for thing to be easier. Do good thing to be good, but thing more difficult. Right. <laughs> so about uh, fighting Oberhassel. Chances are not as difficult as The Witcher. Uh, honestly, probably. So to peek behind the screen for that particular encounter is if, if you tro- chose to fight him, you would have to fight him, all the kids, and flip the rock troll. Why would we fight troll. the kids? Oh, now the rock troll. Would have just incapacitated the children. The rock troll wasn't there when we got there. He so, was He was there, but he went off after we agreed to something. No, the rock troll... He walked up with the wine after we got there. He wasn't there. That is, I mean, it was probably written the story. Oh, if we attack, he comes walking up then more than likely. More or less. Yeah, that wasn't a moral quandary because we didn't know about that. All as far as we knew, kids and monster. The kids weren't much of a threat unless we just got a bad role. Right. Yeah, I agree. And to tie in even further, I think one of the best moments, at least my favorite as a GM of the campaign is the bit we had with Durgamir, which pretty much all of that was me just pulling stuff together. And I don't know if that was so much a moral quandary with the, the Scoia'tael. As much as an un- a misunderstanding. It was a twist that was definitely set up uh, for you guys. And I had options for however you were going to respond to it. So it wasn't, I guess it wasn't so much a moral quandary. But it tied into Viverwin's life path. It was one of those things, again, I can I can build story out of your life path and make it more compelling for you out of this character you've made uh, more than the Book of Tales can do. And I, I just thought it was a really enjoyable mo- moment. Yeah. Obviously, Micah was also there, and that makes it more special as well. But that combined with just hearing other people play differently makes me think that like that is the the ideal way to play this game. Yeah. And what makes that kind of sad is there's not honestly enough in the core rule book, in my opinion, to build a homebrew story. And I know why that is now. Cause I, I listened to the roller cast guys interview, uh, pond Smith and pond Smith, <laughs> pond Smith and pond Smith for all your witcher needs. And they, they, they want to basically have a whole lot more campaign setting kind of info 
But there's a problem with that because they're, they have to pull details of The Witcher from all the different books because yeah. they're not cataloged at all. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. And then there's like an old TTRPG that like they don't have the licensing rights to that they want to pull details from, but they can't. And they have to like avoid, they have to work with like CD Projekt Red on other things because they're making this tabletop game like with their licensing. So like there's this whole like math thing that they have to do legal dance. They have to do with content mm-hmm. and they are trying to add a book called, I think, Rodolph's Guide to the North, which is basically a campaign setting from what I can oh, gather. That'd be nice. And that's what you really need as a GM to be able, you need something like a, a Pathfinder campaign setting book where you can have this rich detail of places, NPCs, plot hooks, stuff that you can use to uh, tie in with your characters and build a story out of. And there's really just not a lot of that in the core rulebook. There's information for sure, but that's more like understanding the world you're going to be playing in. It's not nearly enough to get uh, your teeth sunk into to build a campaign. Yeah. Um, And that's sad because I think the again the best way this game plays is whenever you craft that kind of story yeah and i know we, we sound like we're poo-pooing on this but generally we've had a great time with the oh, game yeah, I had a blast uh, <laughs> book of tales is, is is a fun book i i definitely have some like nitpicks with it after running other things compared to it but it was still fun to play through so yeah i mean i if anyone's still starting out with this game i i, I recommend picking up something like Book of Tales to kind of get you started. But I think if you want to take this game like to the maximum level, expect to do some like have a homebrew story and idea. It yeah. doesn't need to be like your adventure path, really long style it's uh, story. really not built for very long games. It seems. No, it doesn't feel like it, but you need, you should have some sort of like uh, shorter to mid length kind of story you want to tell. If I could recommend something to uh, somebody who's going to run this game, if you do start doing homebrew things, try to make sure that they are well documented because mm. one thing about the world of The Witcher is that it's everything is sort of intertwined. So if there is a new thread, you have to make sure that it connects somewhere and you have to oh, make yeah. sure you remember that. Absolutely. It makes me curious if there's pre-written content for their other games and like how it compares. Yeah, because uh, like the world of cyberpunk isn't really my jive. But <laughs> I'm curious as to what the pre-written content for that might be like and stuff like that. I kind of want to compare the other games they've made now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now uh, let's take a minute uh, from talking about that. I want to, we haven't done this yet, but I want to get your like more general thoughts about the game. Um, now that you've played it for Ben lands and com- compare it to something we play on the show and, not just from like uh, the storytelling side, like we talked about, but like what it's like to be a player in this game. What are your thoughts, feelings? Uh, any one of those? Oh, first? I could, I could say, I thought it was going to be insanely, painfully chunky. Honestly, though, after our first few combats in, sure, you've got to roll these tables and stuff. But once you've done enough times to know, okay, where do we hit? And does that cause this? And what's that? Like, it didn't feel, it felt like it was organized enough that you could keep up with all the chunk that they had. Yeah, I kind of want to disagree with that. I feel like the only reason it was easy enough for us to go along with with melee and everything was because we had it automated well, yeah. true, all of true. the different true. uh like subtractions all of the different qualifications and modifiers that could happen we would have had to 
have like a cheat sheet for or a rule book for. It is chunky. It is possible. But I do think that it is that it rivals Pathfinder in terms of yeah. all of the different statuses yeah. that you can have, especially with the different uh, criticals and everything. Jacob and I have talked about this a lot off air. There are different types of, of chunkiness. So like Pathfinder's chunk just is, there's like a lot of rules that aren't super complicated on their own, but when they all start interacting, it's, get, it's yeah. complicated. And the bigger problem is the volume of all those little rules is massive and spread across a lot of books. This one, like, it's mostly all in the core rule book, so it's kind of easy to wrap your head around it. The bigger problem is that when you, the main part is combat. Whenever you do combat, yeah. there's like a million steps to everything you do. Mm -hmm. And you're right, you know, we're using Roll20 yeah. with these automated character Yeah, sheets. I would not have wanted to do about the automation. Now, I, as the GM, I was Ooh. usually running just off paper uh, a lot of times, and I didn't think it was super bad, but none of the things I was playing had to live more than a few rounds so <laughs> here's the way i always thought about it. pathfinder can get chunky and we're just to clarify you guys probably know this but we're talking about pathfinder first edition uh i we, think we'd specify second edition it's pathfinder and then pathfinder 2 uh, that's fair. yeah i just want to make sure yeah um but pathfinder gets chunky because it's the problem we run into having new people play it is you can get bonuses from like four or five different places so you have yeah. a, a plus two here plus three there plus one here plus five there or is that a plus three called to armor bonus? And my armor is already two. Yeah. So it makes it. Yeah. The Pathfinder is complicated because a lot of it comes from a lot of different places. The Witcher is complicated in that it's a bunch of tables. Right. Yeah. So if you don't have. I, I spent almost the entire game with my book opened up to either page 158 <laughs> or. 152 and those are the two pages i lived on and if i lived on those two pages the game went a lot faster because yeah. i could list off every critical and then i could list off where we were hit i could list off the dcs for thrown items and they were all on those two uh, yeah. pages she, basically she, it should totally so have those the way yeah. i said it was the witcher is complicated but not difficult it's a well-organized amount of chunk it's, it's just a lot of content it's not that's it's a machine confusing the way you, that pathfinder could be yeah, it's yes. it's 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 you know what to do. You just have to have you can't memorize all this. Yeah. It's no. literally tables. I mean, you definitely um, have to live from the book and from the table. But that yeah. being said, and and most of our combats were against one thing at a time. Yeah, our combats went really quick. Yeah. Now, sure, some of that is because we got criticals or we killed them real fast. But like, and we had automation, and we had the automation. But when yeah. we started, because we can automate things in Pathfinder, it still doesn't go as smooth. Um, sometimes, <laughs> but that being said, it's also not connected to where we play it. Yeah. It's a different program. Um, but like combats got real fast and we had a hand on them really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's, it's two different kinds of complicated. This is the funny thing. Here's the thing. I like complicated. So that was <laughs> fine with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on that note, since we're talking about mechanics and combat, um, does anyone have like a favorite or least favorite mechanic or I guess piece of game design after playing this game? I think that the bleed chance is interesting. Bleed I, chances? Yeah. Like I think um, that doing automatic bleed damage the way that it might happen in other games is sensible, but you might not always hit like a critical vein or something. Which right. is what bleed damage, in my personal opinion, equates to. 
but right. having yeah. the chance of it, it's sort of like if you strike true. Yeah, because in other games, usually it's like if you hit them, then you have like a de- a die of some yeah. sort that you roll every round as long as the bleed effect is going. Yeah. So in this game, it's you have that chance, like you said, yeah. to bleed, and then no. once you start bleeding, it's a fixed amount off your hit points. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong. Usually, if you get stabbed, you'll bleed. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, but what? yeah. Wait. Hold but on if a we're, second. If we're going to suspend our disbelief. People in this universe can be hit by swords multiple times before they pass out. Right. There's a chance that you might not hit something that bleeds that much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A mechanic that I just didn't like. Honestly, just the way the game meshed together, I can't think of one I hated. (sighs) Healing could be complicated when it came to healing your criticals, but... That's also, that's kind of just seems like a Witcher world type of thing. I'll give you one. Uh, you were going over the whole bomb thing. Oh, Those man. bombs oh. should have been awesome. You know, that, and they ended up being useless. Yeah, I, that might have been us, though. My was com- that us? My complaint is not necessarily mechanical. I wish the book was a bit better organized. Yeah, where I could cause I and once again, there's always human error and that's what it could be. I'll admit it. But you like, also are using a, an older version of the book. Aren't mine's you? up to date. No, OK. Yeah, um, it's you had to put two and two together in a lot of places. I really wish like when I flipped to the uh, bombs and uh, weapons section, <laughs> like I can't remember what it's called. I'm flipping through right now. Is it one with relics at the end? Um, not uh, bombs and traps. When I flip to the bombs and traps section, I would like them to tell me the distance on things there because I think there may have been an exception for Witcher stuff. But then again, Witchers have their own section. Well, it's yeah. because the distance um, is like there's a number that you multiply against with your body. But it doesn't say that under bombs and traps. Right. That's what um, threw us off with the Witcher fight. I had you call it's under the item where you find that, not under bombs and traps or throwables in general. And then it didn't tell you I'm looking at right here to make sure I'm accurate. It didn't tell you to reference the ranges and target DC because that table makes it sound like it's a bow and crossbow thing, which it is. But I didn't even think about that applying to bombs because I thought bombs were a different thing. Uh, Bombs aren't against somebody else's defense. It's against a flat DC based on how far away you're throwing it. And I just, we, we figured that all out eventually, but it took us a, what, 10 or 15 minutes to do that? Yeah, it took us a it, hot minute. We cut yeah. it out, of and, course, but like... And even then, we got it wrong because he threw a stun bomb, basically. That was, a, that was another thing, but yeah. yes. And that one was like, you roll stun minus two, and I see, oh, minus two. So you're trying to roll under a score when you stun, so you roll whatever you do for stun, and yeah. it's a minus two, so subtract from your roll. That's not how it works. Yeah, you roll no. under your stun. That would help you. Subtract two from your stun score for the purpose of that check, but it never... Uh, at least whenever it's I was looking over it, yeah, didn't say that explicitly. So you miss it. And it, there's a lot of things like that, but that's not like this game's fault. That's just a general RPGs are hard yeah. to write kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but the the problem is usually it's, again, not just this game, but anytime you have a more complex game rules wise, that's going to come up. I will say, though, to the benefit of this game, typically whenever we went looking for a rule and we found it... It was very fast. 
Was it well organized? I, I think it could be better organized. I'm just saying, once we knew a rule, we yeah. knew it. Yeah. Like, once we did the bomb thing, we didn't have much trouble with that afterwards. Yeah. We knew what we were doing. It's like like, um, like what Kat said. I, I, I agree. You know, I thought this was going to be a lot more complicated than it was. Uh, it ended up being... It was still complicated, but it wasn't quite as I bad. I mean, I remember toward the beginning when you were try- when you were doing your math in your head, for a few things, I actually did try to do the math in my head. And the only reason I stopped was because it sped up combat. Like, it wasn't impossible to keep up with the additions and subtractions. It really wasn't, especially if you memorized your scores for some of your more popular roles. It just would have slowed down things for the sake of listening. Yeah. I will say one thing I like. I love the criticals. Oh, they're great. It's (laughs) it's different than how other games do it, where it's like a natural 20. It's just based off of your attack versus their defense. I just, I I think think it's great. It made combat far more frightening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, if you sit through a Pathfinder combat, you really can expect a certain number of rounds to go by. And in this, one bad roll lined up to one really good roll was just, it could end it in one huge fleeting moment and that is dark and realistic another thing is even if you do critical in pathfinder there's like a hard limit as to how much you can do yeah oh yeah in this game in theory you could just keep going yeah 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 you could just straight up one shot someone and that's that is completely possible uh in this game or you could critical or you could critical them five times in a single combat and nothing really bad happened. Yeah. 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 Uh, the failures are more interesting too. Yeah. The fumble effects are brutal in some cases, but fun because like, once again, it's a virtual world thing. Yeah. The game's it's supposed gritty. to be brutal. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of something that I was not the biggest fan of. I, I can think of something. I got some. <laughs> I, I want to guess it's the sheer amount of investment you have to put in as a mage in terms of IP spin. No, that makes sense to me. Yeah, okay. I and I think that uh I think that if I had to say anything that I wasn't a fan of, this is just a general thing that I dislike in tabletop RPGs, it's it's hidden roles. Oh, fair. Like, did I have to do a When ton you of say those? hidden roles, or? you mean where he rolled something for yeah. us? You did that once. Yeah, it was the save the in the sewers. Yep. Yeah, and as a GM, I typically don't like doing that, but the reason I did that, so basically what's happening is- It was is also the, with the hexes. The, the, that, was the, that was the only thing I did it with. I asked you to make endurance checks in the sewers. Yeah, it was the heck, because he rolled when we were sleeping. Yeah, yeah, so the only reason I did that, because I, I, as a GM, I really don't like secret checks either, um, but the, it wants you to be surprised when the cult starts hexing you. Um, so get that. that's it's, why uh, I did it. It's the, it's the same cause I, I, I had to do secret roles for uh doom comes to dust pond. It was basically the exact same yeah. thing. You guys with the, I, I'm not going to spoil that one, but there <laughs> hidden roles can be annoying cause you want to roll for your character. Yeah. But I also look at them as a necessary evil, not even evil. Yeah. It's, it's just, if you want to keep the surprise, they yeah. are necessary. I, I like my failures being my own. <laughs> yeah, but like a lot of times games have you do secret roles to keep the whole like immersion thing going. Yeah. And I get that, but like I just don't care about metagaming at this point <laughs> as a player and a GM. It's fine. Um, 
I, per, I I trust you guys as players to not be dumb about it. Yeah. And typically I'm you a, aren't. I'm a dumb person. But yeah, the, every now and then <laughs> I have to break the rule because I don't really see a good way around it. And then I think, I'm not sure if I did this or not, but I think after the first night I let you guys roll your resists. What it was is you yes. rolled for who was going to be cursed and then you rolled, you told the ones who were being cursed to hexed. roll hexed. Yeah. Sorry. Thing. It's no, no, uh, aren't there curses in this game and they're you're awful? Right, you're right. Um, but like you once they were targeted or whatever, you then had them roll their own magical resistance. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. But yeah. Cause Nug didn't have to roll that night, but those two yeah. did. And yeah. you did have them roll resistances. So speaking on this, uh-huh. why did the cult Hex us. Ah, yes. Let's get into this. Uh, so moving no, away wait, from... Hold on. Can we, can, can we answer mine first? Because in mine, we never even meet the cult. And that was... Uh, could we have found out about this this assassin without even fighting the cult? Okay. Yeah, so let's get into this. So, so let's move away from the feedback and mechanics. Let's, let's talk about the... Um, I'm sure they'll be brought up throughout. Yeah. <laughs> let's right. talk about some unresolved story bits because I feel like that's what we have a lot to talk about this time around. And it's juicy. And it's very juicy. So what was yours, Jacob? Could we have not even met the cult? Oh, in, in the last one? Could we have found out what the, the Peppermint was the assassin and got her before meeting the cult? <sighs> yeah, and this ties into some of the other things I had about some flaws in the Book of Tales. Uh, the The whole thing was she was murdering Nilfgaardian officers because she was worried about them ousting the Temple of Melita, and she was framing this well-known cult in the sewer. The, the Nilfgaardians contacted you guys to come in and just figure it yeah. out and clear it out. But my problem with it is they, they the adventure tells you that like, well, she's actually the one killing it. But the flavor text, I think, explicitly like calls out that they're basically hiring you to go flush out this cult. Like they mentioned yeah. the 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 cultists in the flavor text that I read, like the the dialogue I have written. So I know as a GM, when I tell you this is to my players, you're going to latch on to Colton the sewers. Yeah. And because that's what out. we're given. Yeah. Like every group of players is going to be like, well, that seems simple. Yeah. yeah we, there, we, there's no hint given that there is an open question of who done it. Yeah. I feel like this might also be a flaw of ours because we did investigate in the home. But we didn't find out. Yeah, about I kind of failed room. the role. That, that is true. Might that, have been like our lead up point that we missed. Maybe that that, that might answer your question. Uh, the the only thing you could have found out connecting her to the sewers is if you had found the secret entrance to the lab in the home, yeah. which you didn't. You it's, all rolled like multiple times I'm, and could not find it. See that yeah. that's one of my complaints against rolls is that sometimes you genuinely cannot push the story forward because you fail a roll, yeah. and I don't. I don't know how to reconcile and if that. We're, if we're talking about complaints with that specific chapter, that part of the adventure, my big complaint is that was not a good enough hint. Uh, oh, the, the one, one you did get? The one, the finding the letters on the table. It, to my, to me, everybody has two wolves inside them. Oh my God. <laughs> one wolf says 
Chekhov's gun. If it's there, it's there for a reason. The other wolf says there's no reason to suspect either of those two because their letters are in a row. And that, that's my complaint because <laughs> there's, there's the, that's, that's the other part of the problem. Like the first part is there's no setup that leaves who is responsible a question in your mind. I get setting up a red herring, but if you want to really do a proper red herring at a tabletop thing, there first has to be the question open to who yeah, done it. Exactly. Like, and then you have to be led to the wrong conclusion. And you were never led there. You were basically told straight from the beginning, Colt bag, go kill them. You know, one thing that I could see them doing is we witness multiple officers being killed. Every right. time we show up, uh, our contact is there. We get, led to believe oh it's him we confront him we see him get stabbed by a person that's in the cult we go into the sewers or something it's a red herring that needs to have more meat to it it oh, felt yeah. kind of lackluster and the, and the other part of that again is like what jacob said the the evidence that is supposed to get you on the right track is very weak very or the intent wasn't to make it a mystery until we wiped out the cult that that's that's the only thing I can think like, of. If it was designed to be combat first, then what? He's still dead. What happened? That that's the way I ran it. But I imagine that that would have been specifically mentioned. Like, hey, your players are going to get confused, and then they're going to investigate, fight, yeah. then investigate, not the other way around. Well, that's why I wanted to set up because, like, oh, you you fight, you you think you're doing great, and then you have this, uh oh, what's going on moment, and that's that's the way I ran it. Uh, and it was good up until you had to figure it out. And you did the sensible thing of going to the murder scene and mm -hmm. trying to do it, your investigation. But the thing is, there's basically nothing in the book about what to do when the players investigate the murder. Here, let me read this to you. Uh, development, another murder, party returns to so-and-so, collect the reward, overjoyed to hear him, you know. Gives you the gift, I think I said, but it doesn't pay you till the next day. And then you go there and he's dead. Uh, where's the, yeah, here, the investigation part. Uh, and it says, if the players don't already have an, don't already have an idea about the identity of the murderer, why would you? Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they'll likely have an idea where to start. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, whenever they check area for clues, roll DC 14 deduction, wherever it may be. And whenever they interrogate an NPC, they must roll DC 14 charisma, human perception, persuasion, or intimidation, set up smaller clues, based on your player's style of investigating to lead them towards the three major clues of the investigation. And that's bad. <laughs> it just told makeups, give Make them up clues. clues. <laughs> and yeah. that's what I did with the knife. Like that was all me. Oh, okay. Like her knife did have a hundred percent chance to bleed and it was a Jambia, not a dagger. So I just made up stuff like, it's kind of a weird shaped thing. But and that was a clue for you. But yeah. then we'd have to find the knife on her. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only reason I did that is to have this kind of positive identifying yeah. proof whenever you've confronted yeah. her, right? Yeah. Um, and this is the clues that suggest the murderer escaped from the scene of the first two murders into the sewers. But that would lean toward the cultists. But yeah. that doesn't help you with the priestess. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, also, I, could, I could see her being like, oh, yeah, I know they're down there already. It's one as of those, being one very minor hint. But are we just dumb? No, I don't think. I don't okay. think so. Derek. Yeah. She had a stat block, right? Yes. Was she built like a thief? 
could she within reason actually pick locks? Was she a doctor sneaky and stealthy enough to murder multiple officials and not get caught? Uh, she had 11 stealth, so it's like decent, but not great. Because from what I could tell, she's a doctor. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. That's, it's weird that a doctor would be able to pull off such a very good assassination plot by sneaking into people's houses and can. I mean, about them. the only thing she would have had going for her is that nobody would expect a priestess of Malitala. Yeah. And basically, in other RPG uh, pre written adventures that I've run, when there's a, a mystery of some kind, there are multiple paths to finding the answer. Or finding an answer of whatever set of answers, right? With this one, basically it says the three major clues it says I should lead you towards are the murder escape from the scene of the first two murders into the sewers. That's not helpful. I mean, it's a stretch to be, it's for one, the first one where it's like the sewer is connected to the lab under the guy's house. Yeah, that, that's okay. But like, it doesn't say that they were all murdered in that house. The last one definitely isn't. Yeah. So that doesn't really help. It doesn't and, help you understand how she got to the other houses. Just that one. And it, that it also like, how does, just because she escaped through the sewers, like the, how that house is connected like this one, cause this one's directly connected. That's yeah. why it's important. So that, that, First one's useless, in my opinion. <laughs> the second one is, other than the cult, the three Melitola priestesses, Siska, Ava, and, and Anigia, are the only people who freely entered or exited the sewers. It says that, and the only reason you would know that is from talking to the other people, but you know, it's kind of a big leap for you as the party to come to the conclusion that no one else has come into the sewers because you see cultists, you see refugees, the sick people. There, like, there could be a refugee doing the killing. There could be someone hiding amongst them or the cult. Like, there's, there's a lot of people yeah. down here, so you wouldn't assume that the priestesses are the only people coming in and out of the sewer, right? Yeah. And then at the last point it says is the unsent messages, and I would agree that that's a piece of evidence, but that doesn't place them in the sewers. If anything, it made me think that they had not went into that house because if she had went into that house, she would have found the letter. She would have yeah. found the letter. Yeah, that's what confi- that was one of the more confusing parts. It, it's trying to set up someone was killed in this house. This person was, you know, in love with someone who used to live here, so they know how to get in and out. And like, yes, I that's, guess, but like, why didn't she take the letter? That's you know? why my first thought was the third priestess, because she didn't have a letter there. I didn't think yeah. of that until you guys said it, and I was like, God damn, that makes so much more sense than this. <laughs> to so, be the scorned lover. Yeah. Uh, so that's like, I, we're just beating up on this game, I it feel was, like, but... <laughs> well, no, a mystery we, can be, is very hard to write a good mystery. Let's yeah. be real. Yeah, for sure. And and that it's just in a pre-written thing, you need to give your person running it a lot of tools. That's why they're using this so that they don't have to do all this creative work. And if I'm having to fill in the gaps, then I feel like I'm not getting what I should out of the pre-written thing. Now, to be fair, I enjoyed this adventure because I thought the dungeon crawl was legitimately good. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing with the levers and using oh, that I as liked a puzzle that. to beat that tough monster oh yeah that's just great dungeon design where it falls apart is the mystery um and i didn't really pick up on that until we were already playing it um and before we forget the hexes yes why did they hex us basically the cult whenever you first came into the sewer they it just says that they know you're you've come down there and they start hexing you 
Uh, it never gives an explanation. It just says as soon as the party starts entering the sewers, the cult starts hexing them. Well, I mean, they're a cult. They don't I want anyone near them. can understand that, but I also feel like having other people living in the sewers peacefully is kind of weird. Unless they're hexed, too. The refugees? Yeah. 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 I get it. Or they're just not, the refugees aren't enough and of a threat. the priestess also go into the sewers. The, I guess you could explain it like maybe there's a cultist hiding out in the refugees who knows you're oh. coming after them. Okay. There's yeah. ways to explain it. Um, and I, I kind of get why they don't go into the details because it doesn't matter. Uh, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where I'm having to do work to fill in the gaps and I don't like that. <laughs> but I would say that the other three chapters we played, I thought were pretty well yeah, my, well made. My only other complaint is we ran into a similar thing with Henrik. I have absolutely no complaints about the second chapter with the theater troupe and the kids. That was great. I pretty, enjoyed that. Pretty that, above board. Pretty no complaints there. Uh, the first one and this one, once again, could have been player error. It could have just been us. I, I attributed that one to player way error. Way too digging into it. But the the cur- the way the cursed bot the curse inside the house threw me off more than anything else. Yeah, no, and that that is again part of the book. It's not nearly as like frustrating as the the mystery thing was. The frustrating thing was, I guess, trying to figure out what happened. But it was the gaps I had to fill in were a lot smaller. Basically, if you just read the book and you don't read the sidebars, which you really need to, you'll never pick up on why the house is cursed. Uh, really? This is the sidebar for the curse of Lank Tancred. If the players approach Hild with an accusation about Henrik, she says they're stupid and they should be, and they're just afraid of killing the beast. Uh, blah, 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 blah. If the players approach Yongar with an accusation about Henrik, he reveals that he knows. If the players <gasps> approach Henrik, uh, basically Yongar knows, but he keeps mum because he doesn't want uh, to cause pain for Olgar and Hild. He wants to keep the peace, basically. You know what? That's exactly what we chose to do, so yeah. Yeah, uh, and if the players approach Henrik, he confesses his crimes. He's truly remorseful. He committed arson after his wife died from a combination of illness and starvation to cover his crime of stealing from the stockpile of food for the winter. Yeah, he says he was mad with grief, and he reveals his transparent bill, blah, blah, blah. So basically, all it tells you is he committed arson after his wife died from... Uh, sickness and starvation. But then if you look at the house, <laughs> um, duh, 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 duh. Uh, the other end of the ice cutting village is a ruined building covered in fallen snow that sets off a witcher's medallion. Despite being covered in snow, the charred chunks of the rubble are still warm. The rubble area is difficult terrain, giving a minus two to dodge escape. I had you roll resist magic just for the fun of it. I don't think I would have done a ton of damage. I just wanted to make it more uh, spicy. I wanted to amp up the intensity a little bit because uh, it it's, was cursed. It's the D&D urge. Yes. Uh, minus two to dodge escape, blah, blah, blah. The players discover a trap door under a slab of rubble that leads to an underground larder by way of ladder without a form of illumination. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And in the larder, you'll find four emaciated bodies all huddled together. Uh, a small wooden platform has been placed near the bodies on which... Uh, charcoal portraits and pressed flowers have been arranged. So that's all the book gives you. Uh-huh. I know I just read a lot, but that's all it gives you. And it sounds like a lot of text, but it's not a lot of narrative content. All, basically, it says, Henrik burned down this house because he was covering up his, covering up his, his crime. Uh, 
and he was upset because his wife died of starvation and sickness. And then it says, you find the bodies down there that are emaciated, but the house is burned down. It doesn't make any sense. And you guys picked up on that and you were right. And I was just like, they were burned. They threw them in the cellar and then curse magic. They're emaciated. (laughs) Nowhere in the book does it say that, but that's just what I went with because I couldn't figure it out. And I had a little bit of drink. But that 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 was it. That you know? episode and the episode where you basically just had to tell us those letters sure were suspicious, weren't they? Very same mood. Yeah, we were floundering because we were either digging into stuff or just confused, and you had to be like, "It's curse magic, guys." Yeah. See, I feel like we were we were overdoing the curse magic one, but the other one felt more less user error to me, uh-huh. just personally. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I feel like the same way. You know, you, too much digging in with the curse magic one. The the problem was it wasn't there, and I had to make it up. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But at the same time, yeah, the other the 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 mystery one was a lot more frustrating because there really wasn't anything in the book that would convince a group of player characters that the person who was guilty was guilty. Mm. Uh, But fun fact, a peek behind the screen, if you will, if you had killed her and presented her to the Nuff Guardians or if you just turned her and captured, uh, it would not have ended the way you thought it would have. And I I strongly hinted at this because I didn't want you to uh, while she was alive and talking to you to get the wrong impression. If you had killed her or brought her in captured, uh, yeah. they would have executed her and the head priestess as an example. Oh my what? goodness. Yeah. That yeah. seems pretty Nilfgaardian. I mean, I... Uh, so, so really, I, I just human crap. Everybody yeah. is in that game. We just... We're, we're, we, we refuse to see it. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you, but you kept her alive... And if she thinks she can get out, like she obviously knows this about the Nuff Guardians. That's why she's been, you know, trying to eliminate their presence mm. bit by bit. So I thought it made sense to be like, hey, you can't pin this on the related to the temple or they'll come after us. I thought that was a reasonable thing to bring up. Um, but yeah, if you were just off her, which is what I thought you were going to do when the combat started. Uh, I was like, uh-oh, this season's going to end really sad. How <laughs> With the death of the priestesses who were totally innocent. You said you completely did not expect us to fight her. Yeah. What did you expect to happen? So she doesn't look to pick a fight. And you guys typically don't pick fights unless they've been started for you. Like, that's your history. Yeah. So I thought the way it was going to go was she was going to get called out, obviously, and then talk about how she you you can't turn her in. It'll be bad for the priestesses. She's running away. Just drag up a dead Matt Mercer <laughs> and, and convince the Nilf Guardians. And I thought you guys would buy it because you're generally pretty understanding. And that's what happened anyway. You rolled your human perception and she was genuine about that, right? But I was not expecting it to get spicy I I had my GM screen folded up. <laughs> I thought I was done with it for the season. And on top of my dice box, and I had to set it up mid-episode because I, I did not expect a combat to break out. I woke up in a spicy mood. Yeah. <laughs> so, Drow chooses uh, violence. Honestly, the door was open behind her. I thought she was going to run the moment we found her out, which is why I started with violence. She was going to run. Yeah. The, the thing but that... But she didn't get to her turn. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, 
if I had known that she was only a doctor and not like a, a cleric, yeah, I would not have attacked her. Okay. <laughs> I was like, ah, yes, magic user, die. Violence. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was like, ah, yes, an assassin. I don't want to, f- you know, talk. <laughs> yeah. You, you got the impression that she was, she was more than met the eye yeah. and she yeah. really wasn't. Yeah, but you guys handled it well. You, you came in smart with the non-lethal. I'm not sure if that was just reading my surprised expression. Or... No, no, it's because we wanted answers, and the easiest way to yeah, get the answers easiest way to get answers is talk. <laughs> yeah, C- capturing the bad guy is like getting to look at the DM's book. Yep, because <laughs> <laughs> bad guys love to tell you about their reasons. Yeah, because sure DMs got to get it out somehow. I. <laughs> I like this game. We we It was a lot of fun to play. We have complained a lot about a certain part of it, but you know what? It was really fun like, to play. Like combat was fun. Yeah, I and like I love the way armor works in this game. I think it's brilliant. Oh yeah, that's very um, oh, very oh, creative. Also, I never got to mention the mechanic I thought was interesting. Making the damage different for where you hit someone. Oh yeah. I thought uh, was really cool. Like and the you hit an arm, it's not that big a deal. You hit their head it's going down. Like that was kind of cool actually to me, at least that yeah. one small chance. You got him in the noggin. It's glorious. Uh, yeah. So I, we got a few other questions here that you wrote for me. Um, you asked me, uh, was I disappointed or surprised that we had so few witchers come up in the universe uh, because, you know, it is the witcher uh, and you would expect more of that. I guess they really honed in the fact that monsters and witchers are rare. Yeah, well, but yeah. I, I will say it was, I expected there to be one witcher because all the other times I've seen people play this, there is usually a witcher and it makes sense. It's in the title. But honestly, I think I was really... I didn't know how to feel about it in the beginning, but now that we've played through this season, I was, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm glad we didn't have a Witcher mm-hmm. permanent player member because it really let us test this not as a uh, vessel for role-playing a Witcher, which I know is what it's kind of primarily intended to be, but just as a general fantasy role-playing game set in this setting. And I like that perspective. And it made when we brought witchers into it, like Durgamir or like Pardis, it made those moments really big. Yeah. And so I, I, I loved it. Um, yes, it surprised me, but I thought it was great. Was there any way that we could have not fought that witcher? Or was, uh, or was that going to be a fight? No yeah. No matter what. That's another thing I wasn't stoked about, but I didn't really mind. Like there was basically no way out of that without a lot of money to spend. That is a very like cat witcher kind of thing. They don't care about the morale. They're not Geralt. Yeah. Uh, One thing I've talked about off air to the the crew is that fight was it, it could have been a lot more dangerous than it ended up being like you. You handled him very well, but you know, if he had stunned Viverwin and Ineth it would have been bad. Mm. And then he went down really fast. The way he's written in the game is if he gets taken down to half hit points, he goes away, heals up with swallow and some other things and then comes back beelining it for Oberhassel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could have been a challenge. Like he could have yeah. beelined it for him with like an oil and everything yeah, and wiped him out and caused some narrative problems for you guys. Even if like, he got away or you ended up killing him. He could have been, he could have been very, very deadly, but I mean, you guys just handled him. Well, I mean, Nug went full on Nug beast mode. 
Yeah. Bottle caps, that baby. That was all about the stun. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you guys really did throw the kitchen sink at him once he got yeah. stunned. Wasn't that like, we were so strategic though with that stun. Yeah, yeah. You, mm-hmm. you, you decided to skip your turn to yeah. that nug who does and the most damage. And I will tell you, as Cat, it hurt. I did not <laughs> want to skip my turn. It wasn't even just that. You had to... Uh, do a fast draw initiative to oh, both that's right. boost yeah. yourself and up. I had to hope that I would go before him even if I did that because I didn't yeah. know when he went. Yeah, so I think. It, it was it was a big gamble, but you threw everything at him and you handled him. So yeah, unfortunately, there's no way to... I think you could have negotiated the price down, but the only way you could have gotten him to wave off is just by paying a lot of money. Mm. Um, was it even possible for us to have had enough money? I mean... When he mentioned that amount? Maybe not us, but like... Yeah. There's a lot of adventures in that book that we didn't play, so... Well, yeah, I mean, if you're just playing through the Book of Tales in order, I don't think so, but if you're integrating this into a bigger campaign, then maybe. I do want to say something right now. I'm glad we killed him. (laughs) (laughs) I was... I was looking forward to that fight from the moment Jacob... Uh, introduced me to Nug because he was talking about how he's just a big Witcher fanboy, basically. When and I, I already knew you were going to fight this Witcher, so I was just so excited. I don't even remember if I told you Nug's uh, uh, gimmick before we played our test session. I uh-huh. can't remember if I did. I think all I boiled it down to was thick and dumb. Yeah, but no, yeah, as soon as I figured out he was a Witcher fanboy and oh. he was he wanted to like kind of be like one, I was like, this is going to be his first interaction because we didn't have plans to bring Micah on back then. This is going to be his first interaction with the Witcher and he's going to fight one to the death. Uh, uh, to the death! It was still great. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, yeah, and it was a great story moment. Uh, love it. Um, let's see. I think that's all the questions because the other questions you guys wrote for me, we've kind of already gone through. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, what I want to know, uh, one of the last few things I have uh, written out here is what was your guys's favorite moment of the campaign? I know we've talked about a bunch of different moments already, but like which one stands out as just your favorite moment? I I have I kind of have two and they're based entirely on the roles that led up to them. The fact that Nug either succeeded or criticaled yeah. every time he bartered for money is hilarious. That is one of his worst skills. He has a five <laughs> intelligence and a one in business. Right. And then slightly higher empathy, charisma, or whatever. Uh. So the fact that it worked out every single time is hilarious. And then it felt good to almost one shot a Witcher. I bet, yeah. That made me feel like Nug is powerful. <laughs> I think my favorite moments were whenever I threw you for a loop in roleplay. Oh, boy. Which was, oh, you're fucking Durgamir, and oh, he's dead. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. The confusion on my face with, oh, he's dead. Like, how do I respond to this in a way that makes sense for this character? Such whiplash. <laughs> oh, man. I was sort of hoping that I could just tear this woman down uh, mentally. mentally first. Mission accomplished. I, I really wanted to just have her start crying and confessing to some shit. It didn't work the way that I wanted, but it was close enough. I yeah. still got to just shit all over everything that she did. I got to call her a stupid bitch to her face I while know. she was all tied up. And you love torturing NPCs and, and doing that. Only the evil ones. <laughs> what good NPC have I tortured? Goblins. 
Oh, okay. The okay, not- there was the one time that I killed a child. Well, let we don't. <laughs> okay, we don't need to talk oh, about that. We're talking about that. <laughs> 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 we need to talk about your indie games on air. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, indie games. So, Cat, uh, what was your uh, favorite moment from the campaign? Um, I enjoyed our antics during the party. Oh my god! It yes. was so much fun. <laughs> like it's a dark world, and we got to goof off. Uh, um, do- I fully like. I knew at that moment if there was drinking, I was going to have Anef entirely ignore any chances to quit, and I let myself run with it, and I had fun. I knew. Uh, running that because they did detail that part nicely about the 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 party at the mine uh, town. I was like, this is I I knew from reading. I was like, they're gonna have a blast with the this. other thing. I liked um, it was the party. Uh, Go ahead, Jacob. I was about to say, Derek, do you want to tell them what the other option for chapter three was? Oh yeah, I talked about with this with you, Jacob. Uh-huh. Um, so we actually didn't play through the whole book in order. The order is the first one is the the COVID beast fight, uh-huh. uh, or rather that the whole adventure with on Lake Tancred, and then the second one is going into the Alderwood. The third one we didn't do; we skipped over it. Uh, it's about going to the Mahaka Mountains for a dwarven ale festival. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, that sounds so up our alley. Why did like, just the antics we could have had? Why did you do that? It has basically zero combat and it's all like social investigation so here's the thing um i that actually did spawn another question why are you a coward <laughs> i'm not a coward it's just when i was making the call as like the gm slash producer i was like well i don't want to do two more two more i feel like we after the especially the second adventure we had really kind of explored a lot of what the game had to offer and I didn't want to, I, I think I even talked about it with, with you, Drew. I was like, well, I don't, I only want to do one more. I don't want to overstay my welcome. And you guys really built a party around combat. There was a lot of stuff that we got to use in the sewers that we would not have gotten to use if we hadn't had a combat. And I, even the silver we got before, like even Nug having a silver weapon would have meant nothing if we had went to chapter three because he never would have used it when it had silver on it. Yeah, it's and ba- stuff like that. Because Cat pumped um, swordsmanship, I pumped swordsmanship and a lot of dodge, and it's just, it's just. Yeah, yeah I knew you would have had fun with it, but oh yeah, um, I just I thought it would have not have been as interesting mechanically to end on that note. Because you guys have spent so much time investing in your 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 combat skills, and you would spend a lot of money on armor and weapons, and you really didn't get a lot of chances to flex that. I think really the 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 COVID beast and the cockatrice were the two big times you got to do that, and I didn't want the season to be mechanically just those two, and then fighting a Witcher, and then doing a big fun ale party and quitting. And to be fair, the dungeon crawl was really good in that that part. And you got to fight the big bug beast. And I, I don't really regret it. I really wish we just had time to run all, all of it. But again, you know, when we're, we're choosing what content to put out, I don't want it to get stale with too much Witcher. And we were already trying to figure out what we wanted to do for our third season. So I, I, I had to pick I had to pick one or the other. And so I picked that one. I you would have loved to do the ale festival. But the thing is, looking back, 
I also think it may have been the right call because the mystery part of this was so kind of frustrating to deal with. And that was all like a murder mystery. The whole adventure was a murder mystery thing. And so this one, it was kind of like hidden until the end. I just, after this, I have low confidence that the murder mystery would have been worth uh, the effort. (laughs) But yeah, the ale festival part would have been really fun. I just, I think when my perusing of it, the most of the, the adventure is the murder mystery and then the ale festivals at the end. Um, but it still would have been a ton of fun. I oh, just, yeah. it would have had been, fun regardless. It would have been weird spending all this time and money, silver coating nug sword to never use it in combat. So I wanted to, to satisfy that little bit. Uh, cat, you had a moment you wanted to bring up. Yeah. I finally remembered. Um, we had nug, this witcher wannabe. He meets a witcher. He kills a witcher. He gets his hands on the iconic dual swords. <laughs> Here I am, ready to go. And his character and the man at arms is so well built from the beginning and so OP from the beginning that silver coating his original sword was better <laughs> than using the witcher swords. Oh, and yeah. then so Ineth, the craftsman, <laughs> got the witcher steel sword and that just tickled me pink that that was that whole thing was what first led me to thinking of the uh the the nug wanting to make a guild of monster hunters because you're it's just like, like why don't we do this the, this whole guild thing was was spawned from the the conversation after that of why don't the witchers just have one sword it, it, with the mechanics in the game <laughs> it was makes it you sense said, drow the old ways <laughs> yeah <laughs> The whole monster guild is based off of the idea of cheesing the new in-world mechanics. Because <laughs> that silver-coated sword is just glorious. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think the rules for silver coating should be like more built around you can make a silver weapon from another weapon, but it will reduce the normal damage down to a certain bit. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you can just have the penultimate weapon. And there's no downsides, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Nug got his hands on those swords. And uh, it really meant nothing. Because Ineth had already made him the perfect sword. So I got him. <laughs> uh, well, the last thing I have to hear that I want to ask you guys is, did what we played, you know, all of us have different amounts of experience with The Witcher in terms of like a franchise. Did it feel like The Witcher to you? Or did it feel enough like The Witcher? I think it felt enough like The Witcher. Okay. Like I said, I think we could have had more. I thought about it after we got done talking about it earlier. In The Witcher 3 game, you basically have a choice where you either sacrifice an entire village or sacrifice five children. Right. And you have to make one of those decisions. Right. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is a moral quandary. There was nothing on that level in any of these chapters. And I have not looked at the book, so I don't know if it was ever in that book, but I still think it felt mostly like the Witcher. It felt, right. it felt dangerous. And there were multiple times where even though it meant nothing afterwards, I thought Nug was going to die. Right. So maybe this is just because the Witcher has sort of crept into the way that we play our D and D games, but it didn't feel specifically like the Witcher, namely the books. Yeah. It felt, like a very dangerous D&D game. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's fair because when we play Reign of Winter in Pathfinder 1st Edition, 
uh, I leaned heavily on like Witcher music and other things mm-hmm. because it's like a, a, an ice themed adventure set in this kind of Slavic based uh, witchy setting, yeah, which really aligns with it. So I, I, I see what you mean. I feel like that's kind of it. It's a dark fantasy setting. There is a there's an amount of wittiness and intrigue that happens in The Witcher that was not possible because we are not Geralt. Yeah, yeah, and which also is kind of the, the the defining part of it. It's it's Geralt. You yeah. can't have something that's like wholeheartedly The Witcher without the witcher yeah and this game is something i really appreciate how well it's built and i think it does as as good a job as it possibly can do to make this game be what it is but yeah you really need something like handcrafted for your characters to evoke Mm -hmm. that sense like i was really trying especially in the first chapter to evoke the feeling of like the books and the games and i after the everything with durgamir settled out i kind of just settled into we're playing a tabletop dark fantasy tabletop game set in the Witcher universe. And no matter how hard I try, that's about as good as I can do with what I have right now. Mm-hmm. Unless I want to, you know, write a lot and homebrew a lot. And it really got me thinking about, you know, uh, the playing a, any sort of franchise game, Witcher, Avatar, any Star Wars, all that. Playing this was, I think it's, it's, it was really good. It's not like just a cheap uh, ripoff. It's a really well-built system and tailor-made for the setting. But I think playing franchise games like this is going to be really, really hard to GM. And the more you care about the source material, the harder it is because it's paralyzing. If you're trying to be lore accurate and fit in, you're just going to give yourself so many different headaches. And so I had more fun as a GM just kind of playing it like a tabletop game mm-hmm. and having those concerns be secondary, but it felt less like The Witcher to me. Um, so I don't know. It it was, I, I'm really gl- grateful we got to play it, but I don't know how, mu- how eager I would be to pick up a uh, RPG based on like a movie franchise or a book series or whatever else because... It just it feels like pressure is being put on you to emulate that, and that might not be an easy thing to do. Um, but yeah, Kat, did it feel like The Witcher to you? I know you have the least Witcher experience out of all of us, but I think Drow hit the nail on the head that with my little bit of experience, what made The Witcher interesting was that Geralt is a really cool character, right? Um, did it feel like the low magic, like not very high fantasy, low magic, sort of medieval, everything sucks type of world? Yeah, yeah, it kind of did. But right. I don't know yeah. if it felt like a The Witcher. Yeah, <sighs> I, I think that is the thing this game is bumping up against. The Witcher, especially if you're comparing it to like the books, is Geralt and like his found family, right? Yeah, I think think that might be why I tend to lean more towards it being Witcher-esque, because I only know the video game. That's fair, yeah. And this, I mean, you play as Geralt in the video game, but it's Geralt with choices. Right, and you're in control. <sighs> None yeah. of them are super un though. Oh, you're right, you're right. But yeah, the, the Witcher books are really written about Geralt and his found family and his, his personal journey, and the world is a trapping for him to like go through that process, right? So taking the world uh, out of context of him, uh, I don't think it's impossible to, to do 
a very Witcher feeling game, but yeah. I think it's just, again, you have to put in a lot of effort to handcraft that experience. I think we had just about as much of a Witcher experience as I had watching The Witcher season two on Netflix. Oh, spicy. Oh, that's mean. Okay. To, this is not, this is not me saying that it's bad. This is me saying that it really diverts from yeah. Oh man, the original feeling of it. I, I agree. It, it, it's a different thing and so I, that is a fair comparison because this is a different experience and you can't really, they're not going to line up. Um, yeah. And that's fine. And you're never going to have the same amount of a, of a, of an experience reading a story that's been purposefully crafted as you will. Uh, role playing. Role playing. Oh, yeah. it's, totally. it's going to be much cleaner and much more entrapping whenever you have all these points that blend into one another right. with purpose rather than, oh, I, uh-oh, I rolled this, this, and this. And oh. you can do that as a GM. You can set that up, but it is it's an immense... It's a lot more difficult. It's and an it's not going to happen in like 30 sessions, probably. Yeah. I, I mean, I Especially see the love. Two, I hours. see the attention to detail. Yeah. I yeah. see the attempts to line it up. I just don't know if you can make something quite the same. No, yeah, I agree. Well, that that's all the... Th- points I had to talk about. Um, is there anything else you guys want to mention? I had way more fun than I thought I would with this. Uh-huh. I did not go in with terribly high hopes right. and came out of this significantly surprised in a good way. I was glad to be yeah. wrong. I think the story ended just about as good as it could have with Nug being alive. <laughs> I would have been crushed if we killed early. Nug. unfortunately he dies young Uh, he he died as he lived hunting giants Um, well on that note why don't we uh, cut to the future version of us we'll answer some questions from the listeners take it away future us quick buy a lottery ticket that's the number what (laughs) invest in (laughs) well it's us from the future Future us. It's future me. Oh, but we actually have some questions and uh, comments from listeners this time around on Catch Up. Got questions? People listen to us? I know, right? (laughs) Could not have called it. Uh, We got questions. uh, (laughs) My army! (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. You'll recognize some of these names, I think, from uh, our YouTube comment section. Yeah, yeah. First off, uh, Pete uh, from the UK has a number of different questions okay. for us. I'm sorry, but the fact that we have people not from here that listen to us still, we have a couple of people that still baffles me. It's hard to wrap my mind. From the UK, mm-hmm. the I land from of the tea. UK. And mm-hmm. George. And George. <laughs> George. George. Thanks for listening from across the pond. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, Pete is uh, Bridgie P on uh, YouTube. I oh. think so. Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> that's, that's, such a, <laughs> that's such a fun name, Bridgie P. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, but he writes in, uh, when his first question is, what do you think the best and worst aspects of the Witcher TRPG are as a system? Ah. And I know we've touched on this some, uh, but I've been uh, thinking about it a, a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're month, months out at this point, so we could say something different now than we have yeah. in the, earlier yeah. in the episode. It's, it's been about a month and a half since we yeah. recorded the first part, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say for me, I'll just start this off. Um, I obviously, I really like the combat system. I think the crafting system is also pretty good, if maybe not as much utilized. 
uh, obviously the weak parts is it doesn't have a good, a lot of GM tools. Yeah. Um, but that's not it, it, debatable whether you can call that part of the system or not. Uh, I would say the weaker part to me is everything outside of combat. So crafting is pretty good, but like everything else is just skill checks. Um, so there's not a lot of rules about what does what with skill checks. They just kind of tell you like what certain skill bases represent. Um, and then I think additionally with that, the there's a lot of skills for your profession skills that you can get that are kind of very limiting. Like uh, cats, uh, crafts person skills or clutch. Nugs, yes. man at arm skills were kind of not much to write home about. I would have mm-hmm. had to up them a lot more to make them more useful than my just typical smack you skills. Yeah, that would typical be mine. Smack you skills. <laughs> um, Bam! Does uh, anyone else have anything they want to add into that? I honestly, when I'm asked the best and worst part, I can't think of a worse part. I think the system actually works pretty well. Um, right. If anything, I'd have to say, I'd have to stick to my guns. I just re-listened to our uh, first bit. And the what I dislike isn't necessarily the system itself, but I think the book could have been a bit more better written, more better planned, a bit more intuitive with finding where certain information was. Right. Because we had to flounder to find things for a bit. When we found them, we knew them, but we had to find them in the first place. That was sometimes a bit difficult. But as for my favorite part... I liked the critical system. Oh, yeah. I was a big fan of not only having the criticals be based off of, you know, an amount over an amount, uh, defense role versus offense role. I thought it was fun that there were uh, various different criticals, uh, from simple criticals to absolutely going to kill you criticals. Right. Uh, I liked the, the range of criticals that there were. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Jacob on that. The The sheer range of criticals was yeah. really nice. And we got to experience a pretty decent range. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else have anything to add? Uh, good parts, bad parts of the, the mechanics game system? I feel like this game is not complete without a Witcher in the party. Oh, uh, yeah. And that might be... That might be like a drawback of the system, and it might just be that we're stupid uh, for not having one, honestly. Mm, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I definitely feel like the uh, the game... Expects you to have e- one. Yeah, expects you to have one. When we were playing Book of Tales, there was a lot of different parts where uh, it not just had ca- caveats for one, but it kind of like, it enhanced the player experience yeah. if you have a, had a Witcher. Again, I, I think I've said this before in the episode already but i really like that we didn't have a witcher because it let us try some things and push the limits of the game and one kind of problem i see with that to tack on is if you have a witcher player character they're just going to be better than other player characters uh at least as far as combat is concerned it is called the witcher you're not the witcher you're a witcher yeah i love i love a Witcher TTRPG, <laughs> but we had Witcher Great Value, Witchy uh-huh. Man. That's right. We, yeah. we had a Hexer. I, I, ah. I think that, that that's something that we really uh, got to explore that is a lot different from other people's experience with this game. And I think it let us look at the game uh, a little bit more as a game. As a TTRPG rather than just a... Witcher simulator. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it being a witcher simulator is not a bad thing it's just you got to kind of if one person's going to play a witcher they're kind of going to dominate screen time you got to be 
just a, a bunch of witchy men. Main I was about syndrome. to say, having a party of nothing but witchers would be interesting. But you could all, that would be a very difficult game because you really need magic and healing stuff. I mean, yeah. Yes, And having right. a craftsman came in clutch. Yeah. It would be interesting. You, you can't heal and you can't talk to people, but you can smack. Yeah. Smack all. <laughs> who, who needs healing and talking when you have smack? Uh like smack down enemies before you must get healed we have just summed up jacob's like entire ttrpg career (laughs) you don't need to be able to talk when you can smack the funny thing is though have you ever noticed that jacob tends to be one of our face characters even though his characters aren't like and and jacob himself isn't but you put him in ttrpg mode (laughs) and he goes to straight on face person I, I do the talking being the face when i have no skills that to is do face that is stuff. one of his favorite th- that is bits. it makes it you're, you, it's not optimal but it's fun because like <laughs> you do that you've done that every time although you didn't like doing it with drender your reign of winter character but you loved no. it in, in rise of the rune lords because you had konar who oh, had konar's dumb konar oh. eight intelligence eight, eight charisma. everything yeah uh, All of his mental uh, stats seven, were... actually. Oh, uh, Christ on a cracker. <laughs> and you loved being the talky person in that I, one. I, and I, I, I did the same thing with Konar that mm-hmm. I did with Nug. I let the party know, guys, if there's moments, if there's someone who's not talking, Konar, Nug will talk. Right? He's <laughs> not good we, at it. Viver Wynn was willing to let Nug talk. Uh, the character that I played in the game that Jacob played Konar, Noom, did not often let Konar talk. <laughs> nope. That's uh, a good, it was I, a good call. I, it was a good call. I very distinctly remember uh, <laughs> you trying to, Konar trying to pull a decapitated head out of a bag. <laughs> and uh-huh. Noom <laughs> mentioned that we had proof of somebody dying. <laughs> Don't pull out the head. <laughs> I think he did anyway. Did. That he was starting to. Oh like my we were God. both so in sync with that one. Oh, that, that was one, great. That one with you, me, Kat, and Micah, the amount of uh, synergy that we all had just I that game mentally so as characters yeah. was hilarious, especially because a good portion of them could not stand each other. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Oh, Konar loved every single one. I got I to move a song because we'll just talk about our <laughs> oh, old Lord's game yeah. but, oh, way too long. Uh, all right. So another one from Pete in the UK. Uh, Derek, <laughs> looking back on the mini campaign, oh, are there any things? Yeah, this one's for me. Are there any things you wish you did differently or is there anything you did as a GM that significantly impacted the game? <laughs> um, I, I would say... You know, I'm the producer on this show. I'm also the GM. Uh, I, I wear a lot of hats making this show. And they're all very tall. I'll be completely oh. transparent with you <laughs> listeners. Sometimes I don't have the time to do as much prep as my, you know, compulsive brain would love to do. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. I wish I had caught the issues, let's just say, with certain parts of Book of Tales earlier. Um as funny as the whole curse magic confused thing was to kind of unravel on air and as funny as you guys being completely stumped with the mystery and the last one was on air, I think we could have had maybe a little bit of better content uh, pacing if I had intercepted those things and made up stuff ahead of time. Um, But you know, things get stressful and I don't have time to kind of go and patch the things I don't like about a book all the time. I will say I am glad that when things went 
you know, going on too far. You were just willing to be like, hey, just this is the clue or it's just curse magic. We also don't, don't worry about it too much. It was sometimes you just got to do that. Yeah. Every party has their like weak point. And for us, we are not terribly good at riddles and mysteries. Nope. Uh, excuse. Uh, nope. Uh, like that, I will just openly say it. That's not our strength. We can do a lot of other things, but you give us a mystery or a riddle and all of us just kind of collective. Uh. We've been great at them in the past. It was just not a great mystery. And the second part of this question is if, did I do anything that significantly impacted the game? Um, I mean, my kind of GMing style when doing pre-published content is I kind of just kind of like to run it straight. Um, Ever since we've done Adventure Paths, Adventure Paths being my word for anything pre-written in all the games we do, there's this unspoken rule we have of I'm running this thing and you guys are, you know, committing to partake in it and I'm going to stick to the thing and the rule system. And if death happens, it is not me. It is the system and the situation. When you do homebrew stuff and you make a lot of changes, there can be some kind of responsibility you take on. Nah. Uh, you shake your head no, Jacob, but you feel that immensely. <laughs> I'm sorry. My, my biggest mistake is I haven't, when I did homebrew, uh-huh. I, I would do, this is my world, this is the adventure, you're the one bringing characters into it. I'd never really custom made maps for mm-hmm. people, and sometimes people would suffer for that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I tend to, I didn't really change much. Uh, some of that was a detriment. The only thing I say that I did as a GM that kind of impacted the game is somewhere around the episode titled, oh, I don't know, Nice Cockatrice Bro. Yeah. I, that was kind of the last straw of me really trying to hold on to the, what I thought was a Witcher feel for our game and just let it devolve back into Gremlin mode. And <laughs> I, don't really regret that because it was a lot easier and a lot more natural for us to have fun that playing that way. But I did feel like, you know, we lost a chance to tell witchery kind of stories. But then again, this podcast is about us trying games and we're never going to be the witcher. And I think it's more fun for us to have fun. Even if every game we kind of beat into our dumb gremlin fun mode, uh, I think that is just the way we play. And, you know, it's, it's good for us to branch out and try new things, but you know, if, if that's the way we play, then that's the way we play. So uh, that impacted the game because things got exceptionally more silly after that episode. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And I, I think that was fun. Uh, I think that was good for all of us, at least at the table. And I think everyone uh, listening pretty much enjoyed it. Well, <laughs> I was worried for a while because there was like a drop off in listenership after Micah was on. Um, you guys listening don't get to see the download numbers like I do. And I was worried that the silly was going too far. Uh, but then we got to the Elden Ring stuff and <laughs> I stopped caring because it was hilarious. Um All right, next question here, uh, also from Pete. He had a bunch sent in. Uh, Drow, Cat, and Jacob. If you had to make another character, what profession do you think looks fun to try and why? Witcher, because Witcher. That is a valid answer. I was going to say the exact same thing. (laughs) All right, let's do it on three. One, two, three. Witcher. Witcher. Peasant. (laughs) I... (laughs) Because I'm slow. (laughs) (laughs) Have we not established that I'm slow? I love you so much. There there were three classes that if Nug died, I wanted to try. (sighs) And none of them were the Witcher. I would have wanted to try out Priest or Druid because they were mixed in at one point. Uh I would have wanted to try out Peddler. But 
honestly, if Nug had died, I probably would have made the April Fool's joke class the peasant. It's great. Because the peasant actually looked like a lot of fun. It is just really great. And uh, it's fun to play the dumb character. That's right. Uh, I'll answer for Micah here because fun fact, uh, you know, Micah played the Witcher in this this game, the Witcher player character. Um, Disgusting. I was on a call with him just chatting on Discord and we brought up the fact, you know, related to cowboy stuff that there is a literal class or a profession is called criminal, right? Yep. Uh, you know, because Micah talks about his roles of the outlaw, the lawman, the <laughs> criminal. And uh, <laughs> and he didn't know. I don't know if he just missed that in the book or what, but he didn't realize there was criminal. I think if he had to make another character or if he knew that was there, he probably would have played criminal. I, I thought when Micah came in, he was either going to be a witcher or a criminal. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I remember I did look at the class that was, what was it? Was it priest or doctor? Yeah. There was doctor and there was priest. I did look at doctor and priest as Mm. well. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we got another question from Pete here. We we got questions from three different people and Pete had a lot to say. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he says, uh, if you all had to pick a favorite character from the campaign, who would you pick? And why is it Nug? Mm. (laughs) Uh, I would have to pick Nug (laughs) because (laughs) honestly, I, I find a deep joy in playing dumb characters. I honestly do. And that's what Nug, I, I I like Nug because Nug allowed me to have my dumb character and it is great. We had Cahoon the first season and we had Nug the second season. That's right. That's right. Uh, Micah's Witcher. Oh really? Yeah. 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 Again Uh, with taking my answer. (laughs) I'm sorry. We're just both right. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) I'll jump in and say, I was going to say Durgamir as well. Um, For a different reason. uh, I'll fight all of you. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I I love Durgamir is probably because I have a lot more stake uh, in Durgamir as a character. Because me and Micah, like with all of you, I sent you information on how to like make characters. Uh, Jacob also read the whole core rule book with me. A lot of you like, you know, dove in and made characters yourselves and like worked with me when you had things come up. Me and Micah like literally sat down together and made Durgamir and then played a test session with him all like in the same night. Um, and then I made that spinoff little adventure for Durgamir, right? So I had a lot of like GM investment in Durgamir. Mm. Uh, I love Nug. I love whenever Jacob gets to play his dumb characters because it feels like every other character you play that isn't dumb is just a break in between the character you really want to play, which, which is, is the dumb, very dumb. Dumb uh, smack. <laughs> if, if I can say, because I feel like Nug is a cop-out because he was my character. I, I don't know if I'd call it my favorite NPC, but I actually, I liked... You're the Nilfgaardian quartermaster that hired us, the one that died. Yeah. Because in a world full of garbage people, uh, the Nilfgaardians are kind of considered more of as bad guys. Right. And you kind of humanized him a bit. And it actually made me a little bit sad when he died because he treated our characters nice. Well, that's the thing. That was all uh, from the book. I didn't really add anything like the whole doodling the aardvark. Mm-hmm. That is all him in the book. Um, so they did that. And I... Th- I understand why they did that because there's nothing that is a better predictor of who's going to die in the Witcher <laughs> RPG than a character that is genuinely nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does saying that I liked the cook and the five under four company count? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's not a player character, but there's a good character. Well, did they say player character or just in, I, I, did they said, and why is oh, it character Nug? favorite character? Okay. There we go. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the five under four. I added that in. Um, I did add in a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. Everything I add in, I view as a shit post. I think, though. So, <laughs> oh, I also like the uh, youth pastor for Keith. Oh yeah, throw that out there. I didn't add that in. He was a character, but like the way you played him. When I introduce an NPC, I try to anticipate the angle you're going to understand this character as, <laughs> and that was one of them. So as soon as you said youth pastor, I just ran with it. <laughs> hmm, um, yeah. There wasn't enough. You know who's really sus, Baka? Jesus. Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> that think, caused me physical pain. I think I just took mental damage. Uh, okay, so last question from Pete here. Uh, on the release of The Witcher TRPG, uh, it got a reputation of being an extremely deadly system. After playing a, care, a campaign, would you still agree with that sentiment? Uh, yeah, and I would like to point to where we fought Lobo uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because that was the biggest like Dickus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you good? It really showed what happens whenever you have a, a critical that goes just absolutely south for a cla- for a character. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is deadly. Make no mistake about it. We got very lucky with a lot of our roles. Um, Because I've listened to other podcasts play it, and I have seen other characters die in one hit, decapitated. Basically, yeah. It it is a deadly system. We happen to get We also get really attached to our characters. And so I think, I know in my case, I was doing my best to make sure I didn't kill off Inef. Yeah. So I also wasn't playing a heavy frontliner. Yeah. And like every bit of deadliness that you guys dealt out had the potential of being dealt back at you. Yeah. I think the thing that kind of saved you guys from a mechanical standpoint is we kind of blitzed the improvement points. Yeah. I think if I was going to make anything change as a GM, I may have like made that a little bit slower. I'm not too upset with it because we did get to show the progression. Yeah. It's just the book didn't keep up with you guys. Yeah. Um, Except for the bug fight. The bug fight was deadly. (laughs) But then again, that bug fight was never intended to be taken head on like that. No. And uh, as, as the GM, I should have also been doing something. I realized the mechanics, people say this game is really deadly and it is, it can be really bad. But it's not hard as a player to get really good armor, and that yeah. can make your life as a GM really difficult outside of big, bad bug monsters. Because breaking through you guys' armor with damage is really hard. Uh-huh. And like yeah. people say, oh, well, if you have a lot of armor, that means you need to do a strong strike. But these things aren't always doing strong and light strikes. They just have attacks yeah. with rate of fire. Yeah, And there's very few things that can keep up with Nug's armor. Um, maybe something like a witcher, like is going to have less armor to start with, but a man at arms is really tanky. Yes. A man at arms starts off with very good armor and, and having a craftsman in our party made it even better. And then there's no reason the mage can't also be tanky. If you get the right, you have a lot of money to throw at armor so you can get some and there's no reason not to wear some armor because a lot of it doesn't inhibit your spell casting at all. So yeah. I don't know. Armor made it harder for me uh, as a GM. And then a lot of things I was bringing to the fights didn't have a ton of armor. Uh, But yeah, no, the deadliness can completely be reversed because armor be damned. If you get stunned and critted, you know, oof. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it just comes down to the luck of the rolls. Yeah. And a lot of times our really bad rolls were not necessarily matched with really awesome rolls, which is kind of what it takes to have that 
ultra deadly critical. And people talked about Forbidden Lands being swingy uh, when I was like talking about it at the uh, um, end of the last season. Uh, this game is way more swingy because it's not just a dice pool swinginess. It's two different dice rolls opposed yes. to each other. So it can be yeah. hella swingy. Oh, yeah. And I think I've really come to realize that it's not bad to have a swingy game. It's just a different vibe you get mechanically from it. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we got a question from Mario, parentheses, the Mario uh, from Mexico. <gasps> the, the Mario? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, not that Mario. <laughs> No, stop. <laughs> They'll come for us. They'll come <laughs> knocking down the door. <laughs> the mouse already came once. We can't have them. Can't. I can't do it again. <laughs> can't do it again. Uh, what would be needed to make the Witcher RPG uh, your favorite TTRPG ever without <sighs> altering its essence as in not, you know, OP or I guess power fantasy as in D&D and Pathfinder? I have an answer for this. Go for it. It's the same reason why I like Pathfinder. I would like the ability to multi-class. Right. And I'd like just more options right because i like the ability to twist and to make things that are one way act in another way i i like for example i'm a very big fan of taking magic users and turning them into melee characters i just like having a lot of options yeah and that's, that's the what thing. it really boils down to like you know I, I was thinking about this too you know i said earlier that there's some kind of trap option skill tree wise for your professions. Right. Um, but really like the only choice you make whenever you're making a character is your profession and then your skill tree. And then I guess you can like pick your different things later on. Like if you wanted to do another skill tree, but other than that, that's it. And it's just skill point allocation. Mm -hmm. The, the only things that give you new abilities is new skills in your skill tree. So for most people that aren't going to, you know, do multiple, play out a huge long running game with multiple um, skill trees is they're going to, you know, pick the one tree side of the tree they want to go on and get those three abilities. And that's it. Mm. Like in a game, like even like D and D you get to subclass, you get a lot of things to pick. If you're a spell cast, you get p spells to choose there's not a lot of mechanical things that you can get outside of like items, right? Um, progression does not necessarily give you a lot of new mechanical abilities in this game, right? I'll say yeah. for me, I liked, I'm the opposite. I liked that it was easier to build a character. I liked that you didn't have quite so many overwhelming options at the very beginning, and I loved that they gave you a way to build a background from a random role. Oh, yeah. That's like my favorite thing about the whole oh, yeah. system. What hurt me personally from keep, what would keep The Witcher from being my personal favorite is despite my best efforts and trying and learning to like it more than I thought it would is the world. Yeah. It was a little bit too grim, dark for my personal style. Now, Owen would have fit in better, I think. Oh. Ineth was a little bit too chipper. Um, yeah. But I had rolled a character who came out with that random chipperness. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've played grim, dark mm -hmm. characters, um, but uh, like I, I tried to get deep into The Witcher, but I just couldn't entirely yeah. do it. And that's what I was saying. We kind of changed the vibe halfway through the season yeah. with us just kind of <laughs> playing the way we always do. Um, 
we just we like because uh, we play you know Rain of Winter. That's kind of a dark fairy tale, similar vibe to kind Witcher, of Slavic almost, in, in, in yeah. a lot of ways. In the same way that The Witcher is. But like, man, that's the hardest we've ever went, and you know that's not recorded. That's the hardest we've ever went into trying to be kind of a more serious game, and even it has its copious amounts of stupidity. Oh yeah, um, I think just we as a group have a hard time. Like, I would like selling to, that to interject with my favorite moment of stupidity which was whenever Drender got caught, whenever his hands got cut off. Ugh. And we had Lyrian sneak into where he was being held, stuff him in a bag, and run away. Pathfinder mechanics, And then <laughs> we found out that he, his hands couldn't be reattached. So we had this... this we had like 90% of a perfect body. Yeah. And we had to kill you yeah, so that you could be reincarnated. Put a so you stuck his head. <laughs> so you stuck your fucking hand nubs at me and said, draw because I was a gunslinger. <laughs> it was so traumatizing, but also so dumb. And then like it's later just, on in that same campaign, your character Lyrianne got the insanity spell cast yeah. on you. You had no way to fix it. And so you, we died. You killed yourself. Yep. And got reincarnated because and that would fix it. It's just the, a like one percent chance to come back yeah. the exact same. Time. You and your insane <laughs> luck. If you were in an anime drow, you'd be favored by the gods because yeah. of your luck. It's, it's it's because of the colored hair. It's our gimmick that we just like joking and having fun, mm -hmm. and even in the most serious situations, you can throw in a joke or two, get well, a giggle, pull, and have someone die. I'll pull it back to yeah. the Witcher stuff and all that. <laughs> I think I built my characters backwards. Had I been goofy in season one, because in season one, I was the more you were stern, stern character. And, you were um, and it helped. I think, oh I think it yes. helped the dynamic, but like Kali would have fit in so well in the Witcher universe. Actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's just funny to me that if I could swap them, I think I would have gotten into the zone better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that having two serious elves would have made this a much less exciting season. True that. Yeah, I enjoyed playing Minnesota Nice. <laughs> and this question it blends in with Mario's uh, next question. It says, "Will you be retaking the Witcher RPG in the future, as in like homebrew adventure um, or completing the Book of Tales?" I'll just say this I, much: I think I'm good. If we ever came back to the Witcher RPG, we wouldn't finish the Book of Tales because. Um, I kind of didn't anticipate finishing it anyway because I wanted yeah. to leave some of that for people out there. Yeah, uh, our goal with it was to try it out, try it out, yeah. experience it, play as much of it as we wanted to, and then along the way, kind of teach people what we learned on how to play. Um, it's just like what we said. This this game. Uh, is a couple things. If we were going to ever come back to it, it had to be a homebrew adventure because it's yeah. built for that. Yeah. Yes. But the problem is there's not a lot of GM tools for that. Um, and homebrewing requires a lot from me as the GM. So I don't think I actually answered the first question asked. I don't think that this game can be changed to be a favorite because of what it is. Uh, it's not supposed to be a very fun and exciting uh world it's not supposed to be like full of life and full of like power trippiness which is something that you get in other ttrpgs oh, yeah. uh i don't think that you could change anything about it and keep it yeah. basically the same to the point that it would be my favorite and i think that's also one of the reasons why we wouldn't go back yeah that's like if, what you would prefer is more power um if i may yeah. the witcher rpg would probably be your favorite RPG if you love The Witcher. Yeah. Sure. But... You would also have to play a Witcher. 
but because it is a Witcher RPG, if you do not love The Witcher, it probably won't be your favorite. And here's the yeah. thing. I love The Witcher. I mean, love The Witcher. There are people, <laughs> you have to like The Witcher as much as some people like Warhammer. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I, I could, um, I don't think we're going to come back to the Witcher RPG on the show. Yeah. There was a time when we had just finished it where I said, I don't think I could run this again, uh, but I've changed my stance. If I ever had the time to put together a homebrew story, I could see us playing this again. It wouldn't be on the main show because we try new games and we've already played mm -hmm. this one. Right. Yeah. Um, if I was going to do something, I, I would, so a homebrew, because I feel like that's where this works the best. I would not do it in a long running campaign because I just don't see this working well as a long running campaign. However, now that we've played it, if we started a new game with it, I would have everyone start at a higher level of like ability mm. because it just makes more sense than where you start at base. Mm. Um, that's just kind of a pain in the butt. And then I would set the homebrew story probably somewhere that isn't front and center in like a lot of which people's conception of the Witcher. So either in a kind of bright and sprawling city like Novigrad or in somewhere that's more fairy tale esque, like Tucson. Tucson. Um, because the grim darkness can be there, and that's part of The Witcher, but we just, we have a hard time vibing with that. And if it, you know, if it were just us and we weren't recording, we could play The Witcher and we could make it goofy and we could have fun with it like that. But we're, again, we're also like producing something. And you can only do, you know, what we did, which is take a really dark and depressing fairy tale and goof it up so much without it kind of getting repeated. So I would want to like try to take the game and the setting and make a story that plays to our strengths and do kind of a um, 10 episodes, something like that. I don't ever see us having time to do that because, mm -hmm. you know, we're too busy making our main show right now. But um that's, that's the way I could see us come back to it in the future. Um, much in the same way, if we ever came back to Forbidden Lands, it'd be something like that. My answer is a bit more simple. As much as I liked The Witcher, because I loved playing The Witcher, there are other games I want to play more. I'd yeah. rather play Forbidden Lands or Pathfinder First Edition or other games I've played and enjoyed, but I enjoyed more. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, you know, saying we don't know if we're ever going to come back to it isn't an indictment on The Witcher. If you love oh, it, no. then that's great. I mean, we obviously had a great time. We played... Mm -hmm. 23 episodes of it yeah um and i loved it there's just a lot of good games and i think a game like forbidden lands in season one fits our storytelling and kind of like play style really well so you know a lot of what we would come back to is what we vibe with you know we want to try new things to, to test everything out but yeah the witcher is kind of a hard thing for us to perform i would say uh so last question here is from Patrick uh, in Denmark. Oh, so all international Patrick. questions. Oh. Wow, you're right. Mm -hmm. I love the name Patrick. They really like us. Uh, Patrick says, I found your podcast as I was looking for someone uh, doing the Witcher TTRPG, and I was pretty excited to learn the system through you. Uh, but in the end, I enjoyed your group dynamic more and the system less. Oh, same. It seemed very heavy in combat with all the <laughs> modifiers and hard to balance like in CR. Uh, how was your experience with the system initially and how did it evolve over the season? This honestly, I have no complaints for the system. The system itself 
is great and it sounds like there's a lot of numbers but like if you play a game like D&D or Pathfinder there's more numbers there. Yeah. For the most part your numbers in this game come from two locations, your yeah. main attribute and your skills. And once you know them, that's your numbers. Yeah. Whereas like Pathfinder has spells and conditions and D&D has the same Three stuff. Three different places you can get armor from. Exactly. But like it's the Witcher is not as complicated as it seems on the surface because uh, your your numbers come from basically two main sources. Once you know them, you know them. The system itself is great. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it appears complicated. I'll say like, you know, we did our best to try and explain it as we played it. If you want just the explanation, the main thing we used is Artel Sorian has like a uh, series of how-to videos on YouTube showing character creation and combat. Mm. And that did a good job, like really explaining all the different steps in combat. The main crunch of this system is the combat steps, like rolling to hit in a Pathfinder D and D. Yes, the numbers can come from a lot of places, and that's very complicated. But generally, you hit, you roll your damage, you apply the damage, and you move on. Here, it's like two people have to roll. You have to compare the difference. Then, uh, if there's a hit, you roll the damage, apply armor. There's this whole like step process that has to happen. But if you crit, there's even more. Yeah, and if you know that step process very well, the game's not that complicated. The numbers aren't really hard to add up. They only come from a handful of places. It's just that like flow of hitting in combat is there's a lot of steps. Um, and I don't know if there's any like good flow charts out there, but you know, you have to figure out all those different steps. But once you got that, that's it. Other than that, it's rolling on tables. Basically. Automation also really helped us out. I yeah. would not suggest yeah. trying to paper pencil The Witcher. I don't know. I think paper penciling The Witcher would be easier than a game like D&D or Pathfinder, though. It's not that bad. Um, I'm not a big oh, fan I of just, the... It, yeah, you're, you're right, though. It, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the character sheets that are the official ones. They're not super well laid out. I think they could be a little bit easier to use. But yeah, the Roll20 character sheets are great. The only thing that sucks is making a character and allocating your skill points. Roll20 has got issues, but like the automation for fast strikes, strong strikes is pretty great. You get to click submit 500 times. Uh, If no one else got that joke the whole season, submit, 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 submit was going through the workflow process of rolling in Roll20. Uh, It's great, but you do have to click submit like 100 times. Um, Yeah, I think like... We got over the crunch of combat in the first five episodes with the wolves. The wolves really beat it out of us. Um, The hard to balance nature, I would agree with because this game doesn't have CR like D&D. And that's a good thing because it would be impossible to balance with a a CR number. Most of the time, the pre-written stuff will tell you if you have this many players, add blah, 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 more things because the number of things in combat is an g- easier way to balance. Um, you just have to know what your players' bases are for like defense and attack, and then do the kind of statistic math to figure out how often you're probably going to hit. Like if they average a five or a six, and you average a five or a six, do you hit? You know, that's the kind of math you have to do. Um, and then you have to look at how much damage your monster does and whether that'll ever get through your character's armor so it's it's a little bit more complicated to gm i guess with balancing things but looking at the bestiary in the back of the core rule book honestly made me feel like you weren't supposed to care about the cr 
it made me kind of feel like Forbidden Lands esque, where the monster's going to be there no matter what your level is. Yeah, it's up yeah. to you to figure out how to get rid of it, whether it's tough or easy. And like uh, that's the vibe I got. And as a GM, you shouldn't play something like a fiend. Uh, mm-hmm. For a party of relatively new players, because mm-hmm. even if they do get the 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 vibe check of oh run away, they might not be able to. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it depends on where do you like the chunk in your play to be. In Jacob's case, he likes it in options. Yeah. Here, the chunk is in combat. Where you hit, do you call your shot? Right. How the critical works. It just depends on your style. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that is all the questions we got. Thank you. From listeners. Thanks for asking. Thanks, audience. Thank you, ambiguous blob that is audience. Yeah, thank you. Sitting <laughs> over there in the corner. Uh, but now we get to do a very fun thing, and we get to announce what we're going to be playing in season three. It's <gasps> over. The podcast is over. No! No, no it's not. But Wait, y'all didn't tell me this. <laughs> <laughs> you're fired we've already uh, recorded episodes but we're not putting them out there nope. <laughs> we're done just like Firefly <laughs> you're here <gasps> how dare you uh, no I but just started watching Firefly and I'm li- it is so good people it love is it so I have good. yet to watch it it is a space I'm so sad because I want to watch it but I don't want to be sad that it's over it turned like 20 this year we should let we should let him do his thing we're gonna be playing <laughs> drum roll <laughs> Pathfinder 2nd Edition. But not just Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Oh, no, 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 no. Not just your normal sword and board fantasy with a big game system like Pathfinder. No, we're going to be playing The Outlaws of Alkenstar Adventure Path. Let's just say... Let's just say, if you're a fan of Durgamir and all the arc we had with him. I love Durgamir. But you couldn't stand Micah. But you couldn't stand Micah. I, mm, mm. Then boy, howdy, hold on to your 10-gallon hats. Because this one's going to be filled with Yeehaw. Yeah! In fact, uh, this season was partially, if not very much so, inspired by our little bit of playing with Micah and Durgamir. It was absolutely. We had fun with these delicious vibes. And it's not just Yeehaw, too. It's Yeehaw meets Steampunk. Uh, It's going to be a great time. We've already recorded the first three episodes of it, and it's a hoot. Yes, we're playing Pathfinder, Uh uh, but you should understand, we have a history playing Pathfinder 1st Edition, which is absolutely nothing like Pathfinder 2nd Edition mechanically. The other ones, the other smaller TTRPGs that we've played, that was for you guys. This is for us. (laughs) This is us. (laughs) But I mean, this game's been on our shelf for years. We've wanted to play it for forever. And uh, that being said, this is the biggest thing we've ever done as a show. The core rulebook for the Witcher RPG is around 300 pages, which is a big core rulebook. It was the biggest one we did so far. The core rulebook for the Pathfinder 2nd Edition RPG is over 600. Yep. And that's just the core rulebook. And Jacob read the whole thing to prepare. And there's the Advanced Player's Guide. There's the uh, GM's Guide. There's Guns and Gears, which we're going to be using a lot of options from. Pathfinder is enormous. That's why we love it. We started reading rule books in March. Uh, We took the entire month of May to do practice sessions for this game. So like this is a huge undertaking for us uh, 
to learn. And we're going to do our best to kind of teach you guys how to play as well. Um, you know, we bring a little bit of familiarity with the Pathfinder campaign setting. Um, but the game is brand new to us. We've wanted to play it for forever. And we're very, very excited to take this opportunity to do it on the show. Oh, very. With you guys. It's going to be Yeehaw. It's going to be some steampunk. So grab your uh, your your bronze goggles and your 10-gallon hats because Outlaws of Alkenstar is a hoot. Get ready to draw. But that's going to be it for this episode of Catching Up. Uh, I always feel so sad leaving seasons behind, but it's always a good feeling to wrap up a story. Tune in next episode for the premiere of season three. Yeehaw! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Catching Up. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. If you want to see more from us, check out our website, thirdgallon.com, or follow us on Twitter. We are at thirdgallon, that's T-H-I-R-D gallon. You can also tweet at us using the hashtag thirdgallon, and we are on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook with the same handle, at thirdgallon. We also publish a video version of the podcast on YouTube, which you can find on our channel, The Third Gallon. The theme for Catching Up was composed by Alexander Nakarada, and you can find more of his work at serpentsoundstudios.com and support him at patreon.com slash anakarada. That's patreon.com slash A-N-A-K-A-R-A-D-A. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music